Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter, episode 20. Today's topic is polypharmacy. And if you don't know what that means, you'll know in a minute, because we have a great guest with us that will explain it all to, to our audience. As, as we always do, I'd like to introduce our, our great staff that um, Clarence and I could not do these shows without. Matthew Campbell is our our production guru who, who really knows all the logistics behind production and, and sound checks and website design, the whole nine yards. So thank you, Matthew. Maddie Levine-Wolf and uh, Aaron Collins do our, our background research and help us with uh, some talking points for all our different shows. And they put together really good solid information for us. And so thank you to them. Uh, this trifecta of, of staff is uh, second to none. And then of course, there's my great, great colleague who, um, man, we go back a long ways and it, it keeps getting better and better every, every day, every week. And that's um, Clarence Jones, who um, we like to chat. And we've chatted about a lot of different things over the years, and it continues through this, this podcast. Finally, I also like to, to um, recognize Human Partnership, who without them as a, as a sponsor, many of the things that we do would not be, be possible. It's a wonderful organization, and I encourage our listeners to uh, check them out, H-U-E-M-A-N partnership. So thank you very much. So with that, I'm going to turn this over to, to Clarence because without connection to our guests, this show would be possible. So take it away, Clarence. Thank you, Dr. Stan. I am excited today to uh, introduce to our listening audience, uh, Dr. Rhonda Chikolis, uh, who is, uh, uh, she's a member of the Minnesota Board of Pharmacy. And uh, she's also uh, someone who graduated from the University of Minnesota, uh, and uh, she received her master's degree in public health from American Public University. She has more than 12 years of pharmaceutical benefit management experiences and over five years of experience as a medication therapy management pharmacist. And I'm saying all these things because, you know, as you know, I'm a community member and uh, we, there's a lot of techno technological words or technical words that uh, we will be going over. But I think what's most important about Dr. Rhonda is that, first of all, she's a human member. But uh, the other part about it <clears throat> is that she's a member of the community. She's been, uh, she was born in uh, and lives in North Minneapolis. Uh, and she has been working very diligently to help the community to address the issues around substance abuse. She's been involved in, in infant mortality. She's involved in a, a lot of other different kinds of, uh, of uh, subjects that are of interest and of concern for the community. And so today we have this opportunity to talk with her about polypharmaceuticals. Now, what's interesting also about this is that uh, as I've had the opportunity to talk with her, I understand so many of the other factors that are leading to why we have a unhealthy community around a variety of different things. And I think that she's going to enter into that. So 
Uh, with that, I just want to just tell the listening audience that uh, we're in for a treat. So welcome, everybody, and welcome you to you, Dr. Rhonda. Uh, thank you so much for that uh, warm introduction. Um, sometimes I, when I hear that, I'm like, who is that person? But um, I want to say, first and foremost, um, I'm honored to be here. I am very passionate uh, about um, my community and our community at large and those issues that um, I think that we can change systemically and empower patients. So it's an honor to be here. Um, as Clarence said, I am a proud graduate of the University of Minnesota College of Pharmacy. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, the term pharmaceutical care or the framework um, that pharmacists are taught really came out of the University of Minnesota. So I've had a wonderful opportunity to <clears throat> not only like look at the medications, but understand um, the medication experience of the patient and understanding that that requires an open-ended conversation and it's not a cookie cutter um, checklist. So um, in addition to some of the things that Clarence said about me, I still practice in the retail setting um, occasionally. And what I've seen is like the vast number of drugs. So I know today's topic is on polypharmacy. And so for those of you who don't know me, I also go into the literature and kind of try to bring it back to the people so that we can understand. So the term polypharmacy actually means more than one. And so when we look at that, that term, that term typically has um, been understood as taking five or more um, chronic medications that include over-the-counters uh, medications and supplements. So if you think about um, how many people actually do that, like if you're like, I take a vitamin C tablet with my aspirin, with my blood pressure medicine, along with something for pain and cholesterol, it's really easy to see how polypharmacy affects us as individuals and as a community. And so I think the main thing is, is that you not only understand what you're taking, but why you're taking it. And if you miss doses or whatever, that's also important to communicate. So I can sit here and um, go on about that, but the kind of style I have, I like to engage in a dialogue and I'm certainly open for questions. And um, again, my, my goal here will to help empower people to uh, navigate stuff for themselves and navigate stuff for their family members. So thank you for having me. So, you know, I, how, how did this topic come to be? You know, so I'm in, the, you know, a lot of people know I'm in this guy's book club and one of the, one of the members of my uh, book club is a uh, retired internist who listens to our podcast. And he said, Stan, you really need to do a show on polypharmacy. And so here we are, we're finally, we're finally doing it. So let's, let's kind of delve into this a, a little bit. Um, many drugs. So you indicated five or more, correct? Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah. kind of where poly, that's kind of where the poly comes, comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Who does it hit more? Who does it, you know, who should be um, really concerned about it? Is it the elderly? Is it everyone? Is it based on your experience, where are you seeing the issue really hitting the most? I think it, 
affects everybody, right? So um, of course, I would say disproportionately the elderly people, I think roughly there's probably about 11,000 people that turn 65 every day in this country. And most of them are on three or more medications daily. But I think it goes back to understanding, again, the medication experience. So I've had many patients who could take something like turmeric and that's a supplement to them, but it's not a medication. And so the thing about turmeric is it has a lot of interactions with potential prescription medications. It actually acts as a blood thinner. So you have somebody who maybe would be on turmeric, they add some ibuprofen or naproxen along with their daily aspirin. That is a recipe for really some bleeding issues. So I think the biggest thing we need to do is say a medication may be a supplement, a medication may be a tea or herbal thing that you use daily to help you feel well or help to help you prevent disease. And so if we start there, we'll soon see that polypharmacy really affects everyone, um, in particular, even athletes. And sometimes athletes forget that too. So, yeah. So let me ask, so, you know, there are certain, you know, I, I kind of think of, of, of polypharmacy kind of as this big, big bubble of, of issues, for instance. So like I'm on a, I'm on personally on a statin medication. And the minute I was put on a statin medication, I was told per your, per your note previously here that um, you should stay away from grapefruit and grapefruit juice. Okay, so polypharmacy doesn't necessarily, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, connect with just the medications. It's also what you need to be aware of what you're eating that can exacerbate the, the medication. Is that correct? Yeah, anything like that. So like, for example, there's supplements out there that are they're like a grapefruit capsule, right? Um, somebody would be like, well, I'm just supposed to avoid grapefruit, but do I take this capsule because it's a capsule? So I think it's really important when we talk about this polypharmacy is really taking a step back. Like for me, um, I know some people, their part of their practice when they get up is drinking a hot ginger tea. Again, ginger is like a medication. It thins the blood. It does a number of things. So really empowering people to say, um, not only can food be medicine, but what are some of these herbals or supplements that we use that we don't really see as medication and their potential impact? That's a great, great point. Because, you know, when you think of polypharmacy, you only thinks, at least I would think most people just think of medications, prescription medications, or maybe over-the-counter medications, but not necessarily food that they're eating that can exacerbate as well. Okay, so let let's. Well, Sam, let me let me let me let me jump in real quick uh, because I think that part of what we are uh, thinking about in terms of this issue is that there's so many chronic diseases out here that people are experiencing, and we got to take we got to take pills for high blood pressure. We got to take pills for diabetes. Uh, we got to take pills for gout. I guess I don't I don't have gout, so I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying, got to be some some kind of medication out there. What kind of uh, recommendations do you have 
for people who have all these different uh, diseases and they have all these different pills uh, and they get them from a doctor. So, so if they get it from the doctor, it's got to be okay. Um, so what, what, what kind of conversations do you have with, with individuals who are in this type of life experience and, uh, uh, and are questioning or thinking about the amount of pills that they're taking? That is a great question. So at one point I'd like to point out and um, follow up on, as you said, the, the, the big thing that by default as a clinician, I can see how it's very easy to get to poly, polypharmacy is we have chronic medical conditions. And each one of those chronic medical conditions a lot of times have guidelines. Um, so like, for example, if you're a diabetic, are you on your diabetes medication, but are you on something to protect your kidneys? Are you on a cholesterol medicine? Are you on these things? And when you see that, it's really easy to see how those guidelines actually guide us to polypharmacy. And it's not to say that polypharmacy is unsafe. It's just really understanding that you have multiple drugs to treat multiple conditions, but really saying, hey, do I really fit the guidelines? Do I really need a cholesterol medicine? Do I really need this? Or tell me why I'm taking it. So um, a lot of times I know these provider visits are rushed. And so even just telling people, well, if you're a diabetic, research has shown if you take this medicine, it can help reduce um, complications of kidney disease. It can do this. So really empowering patients to say, hey, this is what you're taking them for. This is why you should be taking them. And then the other issue that I think we'll get to eventually is the actual, is the patient doing it? And so I'll give you an example um, later on as we move through things in terms of what can happen we, when we don't meet the patient um, where they're at. And so um, it's just really important to, to ask those open-ended questions. But, you know, again, the University of Minnesota, not that I'm preaching the U of M, has come up with a lot of tools that are used not only in clinics, but really to um, empower patients and tell them what they're taking them for and how are they taking them. What tends to happen is when a patient moves from like, let's say being at home and then having an urgent care visit, um, we call this a transition of care. And during those transition of care things, what happens is medications may be stopped and started. And then what happens is sometimes people forget to restart things or other things are substituted for other things. We also see this transition of care issue happen when people enter from like, let's say home to the hospital and back from the hospital to home where the hospital has certain formulary drugs, which just means that's what the hospital has an agreement um, to, to dispense. So one example would be like, let's say something for gas or acid reflux. Um, a patient on the outside might take something like omeprazole or Prilosec, but when they go in the hospital, omeprazole may not be a medication that they have access to. So then they get something like protonics. And so when they're discharged, the hospital may write a prescription for protonics, 
but the patient has omeprazole at home. And then next thing you know, a person has two of these drugs. And so um, it's really easy to see um, when people transition from one area of the healthcare system to another, how that happens. So what do I tell my patients and their family members is really ask. Uh, one thing that's a kind of a, a tricky thing that I tell people is if it kind of sounds the same, they might be cousins or related. So <laughs> pantoprazole and omeprazole, they have the same ending. And in my mind, I would ask the patient to say, I would tell them, don't they kind of sound like they're both last name Smith? And so <laughs> when you have people entering you, you only want one Smith in your household at the time for the most part, right? You, you don't want all of the, all these people coming in. And so I kind of think of the body as a household, um, one Smith at a time. And so if you start looking at that names, like even as you said earlier, cholesterol medicine, we'll have something like simvastatin, pravastatin. You have that statin. Mm, they sound related. I don't know if I want two of them in my house at the same time. So it's just really looking for those tools and really asking questions. And really, even though these visits have time, the patients, you know, you hate to think about it, Patients are a source of revenue. Without patients, we can't get things done. Without those prescriptions, we can't get things done. You have the right to ask. Those services are available. Um, make sure people aren't just saying, do you take this? Or this is what I'm giving you. Go through and ask those open-ended questions. So let me follow so here's, up. Here's a couple of things that, that, that I've noticed or remembered if, you know, in my career is this, is that... Um, as far as a healthcare provider is, is concerned, pharmacists are considered by many to be very, very trusted, okay? Because they're more, frankly, they're more connected in the community than for instance, a, um, a person's personal physician, okay? And so um, pharmacists are really regarded well. And, and that's that's good. The other thing I wanted to bring up is communication that maybe you can you can relate to a little bit. When we're talking about electronic medical records and how they how they interact. So for instance, you know, some pharmacies, for instance, don't don't have the same systems that, for instance, um, providers of, of care have. And so it becomes a little bit confusing in order to keep records for for patients so and we're dealing with multiple providers so for instance you go to your 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 dentist you go to your your primary care provider you go to your ophthalmologist you go whoever these specialists are and how is it that all the the medications that they might prescribe interact so communication how is it that we healthcare providers can keep that, um, that knowledge together and be able to share that appropriately with patients? And, and I think that's a good question, right? The biggest thing is, is that the elephant in the room, so to speak, is the term that we talk about, don't talk about enough is health literacy, right? 
So I can tell you from my research, Minnesota has one of the highest literacy rates in the country. Um, on average, people read at about an eighth grade level. And I think sometimes as providers, we forget that literacy doesn't necessarily translate into health literacy. And so you have people who are very educated, PhDs, what have you. And when they get into a healthcare setting, all of a sudden I'm like, you had a myocardial infarction, right? And somebody's like, oh my gosh, am I dying? Did I die? What does that mean? And so some people may not even say that they don't understand what that means. Uh, they'll just sit there and nod their head and shake their head in agreement with not really understanding these terms. So as practitioners, what can we do? It's really how we frame our message. So if I'm yeah. using myocardial infarction, I'm gonna say um, heart attack. Or when I describe a drug that's commonly used after that, a beta blocker, I will tell people that this is a type of drug. This drug helps control the rate of your heart and its rhythm. Instead of saying, this is a beta blocker, this is for your heart, you take it after MI and move on. So it's really critical how we frame our me message. And then just also on top of that health literacy, right? Another layer of that is framing it in a culturally competent way, right? So it's very um, convoluted, I think, as practitioners, we have a lot of work to do. Um, I think it starts very early in the education system, right? And then two, it's not um, talking at a person, it's having a conversation or a dialogue. So you're talking to a person. And um, I've been very adamant about talking to prescribers and providers that you're not dumbing this down and be no different than if you went into a place where somebody was talking to you about your car, or your engine, and you don't have any idea what the catalytic converter is or what it does other than it's really popular right now, you would want somebody to frame that message to you in a way that you can understand it so that you would be empowered to use it going forward. I want to ask this question. Um, we've been talk we were talking about uh, the, uh, the number of drugs that are people are taking, uh, people don't understand this issue around adverse drug reactions. Uh, we sometimes we sometimes take drugs and it just kind of make us kind of feel different. Uh, can you talk more about what, what an adverse uh, drug reaction is and why it's important for us to be aware of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say too, all adverse drug reactions are not the same, right? Those are those ones. And sometimes we say adverse versus allergy. And so I think sometimes that gets mixed up. So I'll have patients that will tell me, um, I took penicillin and it made my stomach hurt. And then I don't want to take it again versus I took penicillin and I got a, a rash. And so um, some adverse reactions are not preventable, right? You can take a medication one time. It cannot um, agree with you. You could potentially get a, a rash, but some are, some are indeed preventable. Like, um, for example, if I know that 
one medication used for pain, like ibuprofen, is going to upset my stomach and maybe gives me um, potentially an ulcer. I know if I give somebody else something like naproxen, which is in the same family, it's probably going to happen again. So again, just really understanding that those adverse reactions kind of vary along, I think, of a, a continuum, so to speak, kind of preventable and not preventable. But again, um, the term adverse also means like, hey, documenting that person's medication experience. Um, I can use something that I know has happened to um, myself. I've been given a medication and it put me into a, a serious allergic reaction. Well, um, I've had providers say, well, it really wasn't that bad, let's rechallenge you. And so I definitely had been against that. So it can happen to anybody, but it's really, again, taking that time when you're doing that history saying, hey, I'm adverse to it. And I, I take it a step further um, when I think about adverse reactions. And this is probably really elite. I'm adverse to the medication experience because when my cousin took lisinopril, um, they develop angioedema and I am terrified of that medication. And so I would never take it. So thank you for that question about adverse uh, reactions. So let me ask you this question. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking medications, but I'm also thinking times that you take your medication, which mm -hmm. also I think kind of interacts with this poly issue. All right, so for instance, as needed, or taken in the morning, or taken in the after meal, or taken in the evening, or taken in combination with. Talk to me how, when to take a medication complicates, in this case, polypharmacy. That's a really good question. Timing of any medication is really complicated, right? Um, but at the same time, it's really about also the frequency that you take it. So one, right. one medication that I think of right away that people are always told to take in the morning on an empty stomach is something like a thyroid medication, like Synthroid or Levothyroxine. What happens is there are a lot of patients, right, who never do that, mm -hmm. who actually take it at night before they go to bed on a full stomach. So what would happen if all of a sudden I tell them, you know, take this in the morning on an empty stomach, their labs are gonna be all over the place. Right. And so really it's about asking, um, you know, when and how they're taking it. Most of those medications that like for a statin, for example, they tell you to take it at night because your body tends to synthesize cholesterol at night. Or again, that is how it was studied in clinical trials, right? And so um, we forget that these life things happen. Um, you might have a preference, like you might be really busy. You don't have the same time every day. You might even work overnight, right? Um, and so for you to take your thyroid medication in the morning wouldn't be effective because you're getting ready to go to bed or that's not your breakfast time per se. So it's really about asking um, 
certainly we go by guidelines, certainly like we tell people to take medications um, based on how they were studied. But what could happen is if we don't ask, how are you actually using it? We could actually cause harm to people by assuming that they've been taking it the way it's been prescribed. And more importantly, that they take it every day. I have one person I know who only takes their thyroid medication three times a week, even though it's been prescribed seven days a week, right? And if they were to take that seven days a week as prescribed, their labs would be very wonky. So, the, so here's a, here's a couple of other of a couple other questions. So when I was in the uh, you know heading up the cardiovascular unit at the Department of Health um, back in 2005, there was a um, research that was put out by the British Medical Journal on the um, the concept of a poly pill, okay, which is uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a It's a combination pill of a statin and aspirin. And I think, is it a beta blocker? I, th I can't they were remember. Doing some, they were doing some, some of those, those kinds. Yeah, all right. Pills. So three together in one, okay, where cardiac patients typically would need to take these medications anyway, and they combine them. So are you seeing more of that happening in the pharmacy arena where we're combining pills per se, in one pill so that we see less actual pills being taken by any one individual? Or is that just kind of a, a separate concept altogether? I, I would say the one area where those combination pills have really um, taken off would be in the, the worlds of like hepatitis C hmm. and HIV, more of the infectious disease things. But one thing that complicates um, those combination pills are reimbursement, right? So let's say, for example, if I can get a cheap statin and a cheap uh, blood pressure pill um, really cheaply, right? But then I put them together and kind of brand them, it's actually going to drive drug expenses up. And so some health plans might be less inclined to cover those. Yeah. Um, and so there's just a lot of variables that happen, but I can think of too, like, you know, you think about how do you mitigate side effects? So um, how do you tell which one is the offending agent? Um, and so sometimes combination pills, <clears throat> especially when people are new to therapy are just not, uh, I'm not a fan of them because it's yeah. really hard to tease out, well, was it this component or this component or that component? I think one thing that you're getting at um, is another topic I like to talk about. And maybe that, that could be something at another date is when you talk about adherence. How do you um, take your medicine yeah. as prescribed? But yeah. Oh, sense. And, yeah. and we'll also get into the idea of caregivers that help people that maybe don't understand, but yeah, or or elderly, and they and they lose concepts on how to take their medication, and then you're yeah. dealing with caregivers that have, have to deal with that. Go ahead, yeah. Chris. Yeah. So Jim, Jim, Jim Barrett has his hand up. Jim, you have a question? Uh, I do. Um, I'm wondering about uh, if things like ginger tea and other seemingly benign um, things can affect the medications you take. What about, you know, street drugs, illicit drugs? Uh, if you know that your patient has a substance use disorder or is a drug user, 
And, you know, do doctors ever say, well, if you smoke marijuana and take this drug, it'll negate the effect of your uh, prescription or any other drugs like that. Is it, is that something that uh, doctors, pharmacists try and have those kinds of conversations? I know personally, I've had those kind of conversations, but again, now we're getting into something. And when you talk about substance abuse, for a long time, it was something we just didn't talk about per se, right? It was this thing that you checked on the box and it was that box that was like the elephant in the room where people were like, well, are you drinking 10 glasses of wine a week or whatever, right? Are you using people didn't have those conversations. And I don't think necessarily they were equipped um, to have those conversations um, in terms of understanding like some of the effects of substance abuse. I think sometimes prescribers are really put in a difficult situation because again, I know people who very openly will tell me in a, re uh, in a setting saying, hey, you know what, I do, I, I smoke marijuana and I have to have a drug test. I'm going to go ahead and take niacin. And I'm like, oh no, don't do that. You can hurt your liver. Whereas um, there's probably a little more reluctance to share that information with a prescriber because of fear of how it may be used, right? Um, let's say it could be used to take away somebody's kids in their home or um, potentially if they're chart had to be looked at for work could potentially um, prohibit them from getting employment. So I have found that those things are there. Um, I think we just need to find a way to empower patients, one, to deal with the substance abuse issue, but two, understanding that an illicit drug or marijuana or heroin or fentanyl has not only effects on your body, but can impact your medications as well. So um, I'd like to see that conversation advance in the future. So Dr. Rhonda, I wanna ask this question, which is that <clears throat> you're doing a lot of conversation with people. What kind of conversations do we need to be having to educate the community about these issues of polypharmacy? Because I think that that's, that's important. I mean, just from this conversation, I realize that there is so many gaps that's occurring. What, do, what is it that we need to be doing in terms of educating the community? So first of all, that, that's a great question. First of all, it's really telling people or empowering people to understand what a medication is, right? It can be an herbal, it can be a vitamin, it can be that. The other thing is when we say polypharmacy, just reinforcing that pharmacy doesn't necessarily mean that it's prescribed, but again, it's a drug that can be used to prevent, treat, et cetera. The third thing I always think about is um, we really, when we talk about these chronic diseases and we know in certain community, um, certain diseases disproportionately affect people, um, just really saying, what can you expect from a chronic disease? What can you expect at diagnosis? What is reasonable, right? Um, when you have these conditions, if I am coming in with uncontrolled blood pressure that is like 190 over 85, it would be unreasonable as a provider for me to say, I'm going to just hand a person um, one medication for this. But do we tell our patients what, what to expect? So it's kind of like, you know, I know there was a 
book in time, like what to expect when you're expecting, what to expect when you're diagnosed with a condition, what to expect when you um, enter or transition from one healthcare setting to another. What are the things that you look for? Because I like automatically in my mind as a clinician, I know I'm sure people who are clinicians can go through the guidelines, they can cite, you know, ATP4 or, or American Heart Association or American Diabetic Association guidelines. And if you start going down those guidelines, um, it's really easy as me for a cl clinician to see how somebody can get five or more medications in really one visit without question. But we haven't empowered, I think, um, the community um, with that. And then again, it's even understanding how people enter the healthcare system, right? So a lot of people won't enter the healthcare system until this is a last resort for them. Um, this is, this, maybe these issues had been going on for a while, but something urgent prompts them to seek care. And so even understanding that, hey, if you let these things build, potentially you're gonna be having more medications thrown at you, or um, just really trying to even get at how um, people experience the healthcare system as well and, and quantifying that. So here's, here's um, something else for our, our audience. You know, many of us have to land up in the hospital, you know, for something, you know, surgery or, or, or what have you. And there are times when you go, when you have to have like surgery or a medical procedure where you have to discontinue medications that you are on. And, um, and I advise, you know, all our listeners to um, coordinate that carefully with your, with your pharmacist, with your, your provider, with your, with your, your surgeon. Like for instance, if you're having surgery, it's, it's often the case that you have to be taken off a blood thinner. Um, even aspirin for, for that matter. So that, that's a guiding principle. The other thing that you brought up is this idea of transitions. And boy, do we deal with transitions a lot. I mean, people are changing healthcare plans all the time. And because of that, they often are changing um, providers, healthcare providers, but not necessarily their pharmacists. Their pharmacist is kind of a, a, a stable force throughout. And that's why um, in many cases, pharmacists are, are deemed a real trusted provider for community and people because there's a level of consistency. You know, all these health plans change and you have to change your providers and sometimes even a dentist or your, your internists or what have you. Pharmacists not there's kind of a stability factor there. And I encourage listeners to really use that to their, to their advantage and certainly in coordinating their medications for sure. So and, this and is, I think, go ahead. No, go you, I'll go, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, um, one thing that really struck me is that thing that you said, a transition in surgery, right? So there's these period of times, even for myself, even though I'm like, I'm a pharmacist, I know better where I'm very vulnerable, right? So for me, if I was having surgery, one, I would try to have an advocate for myself who was there to listen as another set of ears, but a lot of places like in hospital as part of the discharge process, 
you have the opportunity to speak with a pharmacist. Might You might yes. be anxious to go home, right? Might want to go home a little bit sooner, but that just waiting 15, 20 minutes, maybe that extra hour um, could be life-saving and critical, right? Great point. Um, and so just really understanding that, hey, like even um, a lot of clinics now, they have pharmacists and staff, um, ER visit places, they have pharmacists and staff, just really using those resources in place because we all have periods where we're vulnerable and we all have periods of time where we, we need a, another set of ears and eyes and um, what have you. So really taking advantage of those. Yeah, you know, that's a great, great point. You know, I've been dealing with, with um, orthopedic patients, you know, especially those that have had knee surgery and obviously they're going home with pain medication that they've never taken before, but they certainly have started that when they're, when they're in the hospital and then maintaining that for, you know, hopefully a relatively short period of time when they go home. But yet, those pain medications can have some implications for other medications that they're, they're on. So your advice to connect with a pharmacist while you're in the hospital is, is really a good, good point. So let me shift. Okay. I'm sorry. Cause I mean, this, this is such a great conversation. I do want to make, I do want to make a real quick shift because I think that there, you know, out in the community, there is something that, you know, that has been discussed which is the pharmaceutical deserts. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. So we, I, I, that's, that's something that we need to, need to, I don't need to go into it very deeply, but I do think that that is a conversation that has to be talked about. So I don't want you getting, I don't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we have an issue. We have issues. And I think maybe you could, Politically, okay, this is the only time I'm going to tell you be politically correct. Uh. Well, I I think, you know, there's a difference between saying, um, not getting myself in trouble, but it's the reality, right? The reality is how our healthcare system is structured and financed, right? And so you have a bunch of people who are insured, you have people who are uninsured, you have people who are underinsured, and kind of like during that process, right? the other thing that can really empower patients when I think about this is um, when people are in a setting, right? Um, and they're like, oh, I love, well, I'll just use myself as an example because I like to think um, I'm a pretty revered pharmacist. I love seeing Dr. Rhonda at that pharmacy. Um, I want all my prescriptions to go there or the, all the staff there treats me very kindly. They always know me. But there's a there's a, a factor that may stop that is who are their insurance plan is exactly. and who finances what have you and I've had this conversation with prescribers that in particular for people who are on state funded plans it's kind of your duty to help your patients know that if somebody has a Blue Cross Blue Shield a Health Partners a um, a UCare there's only five or six plans. You can, they can tell you, hey, I wanna to go to the Walgreens or the CVS or the Cub, but you know as a provider, hey, you know what, when you get there, your prescriptions aren't gonna be covered. And that's a barrier to care. Your, your prescriptions Correct. are only covered at this pharmacy. So even empowering patients to say, you know what, when we hand them that card, 
these are the pharmacies that you can use and put that on the front of the card as much as they may want to go and connect with Great the pharmacists that they've point. always had that relationship with. Because right now I can tell you in Minnesota, pharmacy is very strained. Um, we're understaffed. Um, the number to like, to the point of this conversation, polypharmacy, the number of people who are on more medications really since COVID um, has grown substantially, right? Yeah. And so you think about if those prescriptions are sent to a pharmacy where it's not contracted, the barrier for a person getting that, it could be two or three days before they get a discharge medicine. And so, and so it's really about, for me, I see creating change, but empowering people and really saying, well, I know you like that pharmacist or whatever, but um, you don't know. And I, I can tell you most people who are even considered very literate, like professionals, corporate people, even doctors, they can't tell you where their preferred pharmacy is, right? It's just something that they're like, they just might have the means to pay for it to not deal with the, the inconvenience of transferring it. But for somebody on state insurance, they could lose their insurance if they pay for medication out of pocket that's covered. So um, you start thinking about the type of plans that people have, right? Versus the pharmacies they could fill them at. Then you start thinking about hours of operation how many 24 hour pharmacies are there or aren't there? And it's real easy to see that people can be without certain medications for uh, a significant period of time, which in yeah. some cases based on the condition can be very critical and land them right back in the, the hospital or ER. Uh, Clarence, you. I hope that was political enough for you. Okay, no, no. <laughs> I'm just teasing. No, we get we we get into some really interesting weeds up in this on this program. Just so you know that. Yes. So I'll 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 bring up one one final little tidbit here. This was I found kind of interesting. Um, when people travel and there's a big time difference, like you know you travel overseas and you know there could be an eight, nine, ten hour difference from when you normally do your medications back at home. And I discussed with my pharmacist when I should be taking my medications when, you know, I travel overseas, which is kind of an interesting thing, you know, to, to make sure that your body <laughs> really connects properly when you, when you go overseas besides jet lag. So this has been a great conversation. Um, we always end our, our shows, um, with this, what is it that uh, a message that you would like to make sure our audience knows? That's number one. And then number two is what is it that we can do through a, a communication vehicle that we have here, our podcast, that can that can help going forward? I always like to think of it as the things you should know, right? So know what your medication is, know what it's for. And then more importantly, know how you should be taking it. But if you're not taking it the way you should be, let somebody know, right? We're all on these notes. Know your health plan. Know your preferred pharmacy and where you can get uh, things filled. But more importantly, know where to go 
if you're having difficulty navigating things. Um, your health plans sometimes are available. Uh, pharmacists are available in clinic. And sometimes if you have to, if you're in clinic and you need to speak to the clinic manager, or if you're at the hospital and you need to speak to a charge nurse or an advocate, know that you can use those vehicles. So my, my final takeaway is just know. Just know. And that's a great, great comment. And we'll keep that in mind going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much for this enlightening information. I'm sure our audience will, will greatly appreciate it. For our audience, we have more shows coming up that stay tuned on. We have one coming up on Alzheimer's and memory loss. We have a show on anti-Semitism, on racism. So these are great shows that we invite our, our listeners to tune in on and a special show that Clarence and I are going to be putting on or putting together soon on voting. Get out and vote. So stay tuned on that. Clarence, thoughts? Doc, yeah, Dr. Rhonda, I appreciate you as always. Uh, you know, and I know that uh, we're going to be working together even more in the yeah. future. And as Stan has said, you know, this is health chatter. And that's what we do. We chatter. And uh, sometimes we are, uh, we're at the edge. We're in the weeds. But yes. we're there. We're there because we really believe that those are the kind of issues that we need to be talking about. And so, this particular one on polypharmaceuticals was really one that was necessary. And we look forward to working with you in the community. Absolutely. And I wanted to say in closing again, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, feel free to have me back, or I certainly have a new podcast now that I will be adding to my collection. So thank you all, and I hope you have a fabulous week. Thank you. Thanks. And so for all of you in our listening audience, keep health chatting away.